The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, push that pancake back on the stack. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 362 with guest Kate Gregory. Recorded live Tuesday, July 1st, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who accidentally popped when he should have pushed, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, your host. I'll be with you for the next hour. Richard will be here momentarily. And, uh... I don't really have anything to report today except that I played a gig on Block Island, which is part of Rhode Island. If you look on Google Maps, you'll see it's a party destination. It's uh, an old island. So, you know, as far as America goes, old. So there's a lot of older older places there, but it's the place where everybody goes to party that lives in the area. And I played with a band named Sugar like a dance band. And on Saturday, I was laying on the beach and swimming and on the boat thinking to myself, well, since I'm immortal, I don't need sunscreen. What could happen? And I ended up with like second degree burns. It was so bad. I don't know if they're second degree, but big blisters and stuff. Not, not good. Not a exactly my uh, brightest hour. Anyway, let's get right into Better Know Framework. <laughs> Uh, the intro today is going to discuss a little bit about threads. This is kind of a thready show anyway because of Kate Gregory, but um, I want to talk about timers. There are two timers. There are two two timers. Two timers, get it? There are two different timer classes that you can use in the framework, at least two, two that I know of. One is system.timers.timer, and the other is system.windows.forms.timer, which is optimized for Windows Forms. Now, you might say to yourself, how can a timer be optimized for Windows Forms? Well, in a couple ways. First of all, it has the same signature as the other Windows Forms controls, where the object gets passed in the sender, gets passed in as an object, 
and then the event args, system event args. And also it does the synchronized invoke, which is required to call any kind of code from another thread. Obviously, a timer is something that creates another thread, and it has to uh, then fire an event. And in Windows Forms, you don't want to fire an event on any thread except the thread that the UI is on. So it has to do that. And you can experiment yourself with this by putting a Windows Forms timer on the form and put a button on there and a breakpoint in the button click and then uh, a breakpoint in the timer tick event. Uh, I'm sorry, it's called, uh, yeah, is it tick or elapsed? I can never remember. I think it's called tick in the uh, Windows Forms one. So uh, when you click on the button, show the uh, under debug windows show threads and look at the thread that's currently running and you'll see it's the main UI thread and there's an ID that you can look at on the leftmost column there and then uh, press the play button again so you continue on and when the uh, and then go ahead and enable the timer in that button very important so then the timer tick event fires and you can see that the thread ID for the thread that's running in the timer tick is the same as the, the one that was in the button. And conversely, if you create a system.timers.timer and you subscribe to the events and you look at the elapsed event and do the same experiment, you'll see that the elapsed event is running on a different thread. So just if you're going to use a timer control in a Windows form app, Use the one that's in the components toolbox or system.windows.forms.timer. And if you're creating a component or something that isn't necessarily tied to Windows Forms and multiple threads are okay, you can use the other one. All right, let's get to an email here. This was uh, from Thomas Betts, who's an old friend of the show. And he says, now that was a back-to-basics show. He's talking about the uh, Jeff Richter show. Thanks for the look inside the sausage factory that is the Windows memory module. It's true that in 95% of my code, especially in .NET applications, I'm far removed from the gory details of how the OS handles memory. But for those few times when you need to know what's going on, it's nice to hear someone like Jeffrey Richter put everything in a relatively easy-to-understand perspective. As for the debate about the magic number of threads in the thread pool, I'm on Carl's side. A few years back, when we needed to use the thread pool in the version 1.0 and 1.1 days, we did some research about the number of threads and found that the default number of worker threads in the thread pool was 25 per CPU. You could change that using threadpool.setmaxthreads, but we found documentation that supported keeping the default value of 25, mainly due to diminishing returns on performance above that number. I'm sure some developers have justifiable reasons for spooling up large numbers of threads, but the decision seemed to be if you were using a lot of threads, either A, you were going to handle them yourself and not via the thread pool, or B, your architecture was poorly designed. To Jeffrey's point, I don't think 25 was ever a hard maximum value. Thanks, Thomas. And just for that, we're going to send you a .NET Rocks mug, probably another one. You probably got a whole bunch of them by now. And uh, thanks for that. Now let's get on to the to the interview. This is an interview we did a couple of weeks ago with our friend and fellow RD, Kate Gregory. Well, Richard, Kate Gregory is back on our show. She's been a regular uh, ever since the beginning of .NET Rocks. Of course, uh, a regional director for Toronto and founding partner of Gregory Consulting. Based in rural Ontario, 
Gregory Consulting has been providing consulting and development services throughout North America since 1986, specializing in software development with leading-edge technologies, integration projects, and technology transfer. They also provide training, mentoring, and technical writing services. Kate's the author of over a dozen books, including Microsoft Visual C++, .NET 2003 Kickstart, she teaches .NET, XML, UML, and C++ and is in demand as an expert speaker with numerous cross-Canada tours from Microsoft Canada and sessions at DevDays, DevTeach, TechEd, USA, blah, blah, blah. You're a superstar. Kate Gregory. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> RD of the year, 2005. Come on. She's the stuff. <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, bio stuff. I but, do. I learn. I learn technology that I talk about it. People pay me for it. What can I say? Well, I mean, it's it's all about the C plus plus for you, isn't it? Well, kind of. I have this like split personality, right? So I do a ton of C plus plus. I really do, and I do um, it, moving projects forward where someone's got you know some code from 1947 that they want to move into this. Uh, <laughs> newfangled .NET thing, you know. Um, <laughs> I want some of that newfangled .NET stuff. <laughs> because they heard it might catch on, you know. <laughs> I've been waiting. And <laughs> might be okay after all. So I've, I've got kind of that that side of my life, and uh, boy, I do love Virtual PC for that because mm. the stuff, the, you know, the bits that people pull out, and they're like, "Yeah, I've got VB3 around here somewhere," you know. Uh, um, and then in the other half of my life, I'm doing. You know, VB.net, ASP.net, you know, kind of meat and potatoes, really ordinary stuff. Um, and so I kind of have to live this, uh, this split life between these, uh, these two kinds of, of behaviors. It's weird. And, uh, in that, in that second life, I've been doing a lot of stuff lately with a project called Vista Bridge, whose purpose in life is to make it possible to do really kind of challenging things that you'd need to know an awful lot about interrupt to do. But sort of we do the interrupt so you don't have to. And uh, huh. you know, speaking to a completely different audience, because if you're a, a kick-ass C++ programmer who still remembers how Calm works, then you, you don't need that help. <laughs> yeah, but right. there's only like three of you. <laughs> and two of you are having seizures. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Vista was actually a sort of a, um, a rejuvenation for C++ in many ways. Which is crazy, because I always thought Vista was like the .NET OS. Well, you know, certainly in Windows Communication Foundation and Windows Presentation Foundation, right. and, you know, Windows Telephony Foundation I like to invent, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the initials. Uh, but th that stuff's all managed, and that's great. But there was a ton of things added to Vista that you can't get to. In some cases, you can't get to at all for managed code, and in really? others, it's just real hard. Yeah. So, you know, those, um, when you bring up a Windows Explorer and you've got your list of files and there's all kinds of action going on in the Chrome, there's little thumbnails when you click on a, a file. Sometimes you just see an icon like this is a Word document, but other times you actually see the content. So if it's a picture, you can see the picture down in the right. bottom half of the Explorer. Hmm. And if it's a PowerPoint, you see the first slide, which is brilliant for me because that's usually the title and the author and that's all I need and I don't need to, to kick. Because PowerPoint 2007 doesn't exactly spin up fast. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, all the TechEd slide decks, the first slide just says TechEd. I'm like, I know it's in the title. <laughs> yes, What's the exactly. deck? <laughs> but so that thing, that thumbnail pr uh, provider, um, you're not allowed to write that in managed code. Really? Yeah. Why? Because it's, uh, because it's in process. 
And because you get all that same shiny goodness from the file open dialog as you do from a Windows Explorer window. So imagine that an application bound to version X of the .NET framework pulls up the file open process who calls out to a thumbnail provider that was written against version Y of the .NET framework. They're all in process, and you can't have two versions of the .NET framework in process. So you're just... I mean, you can, because I might have done it, but, you know, and it (laughs) might have appeared to work, but I'm just saying, you're not allowed to. You're not supposed to. You may not. (laughs) So You may not. You may not. So that that has to be native code. And also, if you want to play with the... The search and organize features, if you look next to the thumbnail, there's all those, oh, you know, category and rating and difficulty level and blah, blah, like, you know, cool fields. You can write your own fields and uh, for your own file type and have them appear in there. Uh, wow. Again, you can't do that in .NET. You're not allowed to. Not, not to allowed. mention that, you know, hmm. it's a simple matter of implementing five or six, you know, com interfaces. So <laughs> maybe not a lot of people who were going to anyway. Um, but that's another thing that's in process. So you have to do that in native code. Kate, what's the most difficult technology you've ever had to work with? <sighs> Tom. Calm. Nice. Tom really difficult. Yeah. It is. It was difficult then and it's difficult now, you know. And go back into there because I'm doing some of this stuff in demos, and I'm like, God, I forgot how much I hate doing this, because it's really hard. You know? And, um, and I get the sense that it's really fragile, too. Like, all mistakes are, like, falling off a cliff. That's what you get with binary interfaces, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's a bit like, you know, when you, uh, when I used to work in Perl from time to time, and you'd get, like, a 500 error. Something is wrong in your code. Have a nice day. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for playing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. In- error. Internal error. In, that's right. And do I get a line number? Or do how I about get error four seven nine four two seven to the power of e seven four nine? That has a chance that I can go searching for it, and I can find you know someone else's little tale of woe that ends with what went wrong. Well, the old yeah. incarnation of MFC was like this, where the machine just rebooted. <laughs> right, and that's why we had remember Periscope. Like we had, yeah. we actually need a card with memory in it, so we had some chance of having a snapshot of why the machine exploded. That's right. What did it look like just before the bad thing happened? Yeah, just before the whole world went away. This is what we call debugging: repeated <laughs> reboots and memory maps. Yeah, yeah. Although I did like having the debugger and the code on different screens. I actually quite enjoyed that. Oh yeah, they have the, you had the VGA screen and the old Hercules screen. Yeah. Yeah, watching so in the Hercules screen would have the nice thing is because that generally that memory would lock in the reboot, so you'd actually have that screen hung there while everything else was restarting. Unbelievable! It's a good thing we didn't have digital cameras then. I would have been photographing that screen over and over again. I did take pictures of a screen. What was it? Oh, it was the NT install screen. I had to write a chapter on how to install NT. <laughs> we needed some pictures of some stuff that happened real early on before you could do a screenshot. So we were like taking photographs of the screen. Oh yeah. man! Yeah, and somebody somebody strapped a video camera because after you've installed NT five or six hundred times, you totally don't need the prompts to figure out where, when when to press F whatever. Right. So he strapped the video camera across the front of the screen <laughs> and <laughs> ran the whole install without actually seeing anything. So that he then could play the tape whenever he wanted and see what the prompts were and in what order. 
Oh man, we're still and you're still doing the same stuff. So, I mean, is that really what we're getting into here? Is how do we get access to all of that great Chrome in in Vista, or are there are other things that are just inaccessible? Well, so the things that you actually are allowed to do for managed code, and it's only difficult. Um, well, probably restart and recovery is the one that leaps immediately to mind. So restart and recovery is an amazing feature. If your app um, crashes, like divide by zero, no passing go, just blam, uh, it doesn't have to die immediately. Vista can actually call in on another thread to some code of your nomination and run that code for you and then let the app die. Interesting. So that code can, like, save, you know, a bunch of volatile information. And then that's called re- re- recovery. And there's also restart, which is after uh, you're shot in the head by Vista. Vista will run your app again with a bit of a hint that says, you died and I'm running you again. And so it can go maybe read, you know, the stuff that was scribbled down with its dying breath. Hmm. And this is so much better than Word, you know, saving every half hour for you because it's at the moment that the system ran into trouble. The only place I've seen this in action is Outlook. Uh, Outlook, I think IE now, when it dies, it comes back with, with maybe some of your tabs there before. People have told me, mine still doesn't, it still like laughs at me and gives me an empty browser, which is not what I wanted. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could be in any app. So here's everything you were doing when we died. Hmm. I, maybe I just don't have IE dying on me and I do have Outlook dying on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's easy to get IE to die on my laptop. I just have to go to some page with Flash on it. Oh, no. <laughs> I hate that. I lived a real long time with no flash on my machine, and then this one came with it pre-installed, and I just I didn't uninstall it. I probably probably should have. But um, the cool thing about this restart and recovery is you set it up once when the app first starts running, and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to like have special try catches or anything. You just live your life. And the operating system itself is the one that notices that that this needs to happen. But the way you set it up is you, you call some functions, which are, of course, Windows API functions, so you'll need to p-invoke to them, and you pass them a function pointer that the operating system will call back in on. And if you're, you know, got a little gray in your hair, you're like, cool, I know what a function pointer is, and you can find the one line of code to transform a delegate into a function pointer, but if you're a 100%.NET person, whether it's VB or C-sharp, you may not be real clear on any of this, and poking around inside the system runtime interop um, library is not really much fun. So people, as far as I can tell, aren't using the feature at all. And it's a shame because I think it's the sort of thing that would actually, um, if you're in a corporate situation and you're coming out with, you know, version 17 of some line of business product that all your fellow employees use, I can see management saying, if you add restart and recovery to the app, we'll move everybody to Vista. Interesting. And of course, the this is an operating system dependent thing. So um, it's it's a great selling feature for the operating system. Most developers, no clue it's there. And unfortunately, when they do know it's there and you tell them, you just have to p-invoke these five functions and use this to convert your delegate into a function pointer and this and this and this, they start, their eyes roll up in their head and they're kind of done. <laughs> wow. So, Although it isn't just an admission of guilt to say, oh, yeah, we need our program to auto-recover from a brutal crash. Well, it could be your brutal crash, or it could even be um, um, machine is rebooting because updates installed while you were at lunch, which I right. really... Or your really machine is locked because it's copying files across the network. <laughs> or it's Tuesday. <laughs> right. 
So, I mean, my demo apps have got a button that when you click it, I divide by zero, and I got another one that puts you in an infinite loop because it's four semicolon semicolon. But usually, it's a little harder to spot the reason for the crash. And the uh, the you know typical version seventeen of some corporate app that has been kicking around for twelve years, it probably doesn't need any extra code added to cause it to crash from time to time probably already has that feature built right into it. Nice. <laughs> so um, I would love for developers to start using these features, but they're a little intimidating right now. So the Vista Bridge library try- is trying to kind of overcome that. And it started out life as a sample. And um, it just managed um, wrappers around some of the coolness in Vista that are hard to get to from VB or C Sharp. And... Um, at the moment, if you want it, you have to go and download the platform SDK. And I've been taking surveys amongst um, VB programmers and C-sharp programmers and people who are interested in Vista programming and saying, so how many of you have ever downloaded a platform SDK? And I'm really surprised because about half of them say, oh, yeah, me, I downloaded the platform SDK. And I think, really? Okay. Turns out they actually misunderstood you. That's right. They, they thought I meant something different. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Because <laughs> I just... You know, anyway. So they, they put this library in a place where nobody will find it. Is it because it's, you have to go under samples and then under something else, and then it finally says cross-technology samples, and you drill a little further and you find a thing called Vista Bridge. And um, once you've found it, for example, you can have a command link on your dialogs. You know, these honking big buttons that are holding your hand and saying, don't worry, it's not scary. Uh, we recommend you click this button, that kind of thing. Those are just buttons with some extra styles and goodies, and, and to put the text on them, you simply send them a Windows message. And again, it's an age test. You know, people of a certain age are like, oh, okay, yeah, I know how to send a message. I'm going to go find the P-Invoke for send message and, and you know, copy it off of pinvoke.net or something, and you're good to go. And the people who are 21 are like, what? You did <laughs> send what? Send a message? What, what, what do you mean, send a message, you know? And, and so for those people, it's pretty simple to say, look, here is a button. <laughs> and it's in the designer, and you drag it on, and then you go over here to the properties window, and there's three or four new properties that the properties, you're good. And, you know, the code for the property set is like three lines long. It sends the message. Big deal. But it does so, you know, safely and politely, and it's good interrupt behavior. So I like that. Well, and therein lies the challenging part, which is that often we can make this stuff work, but we're not actually doing it properly. We're not initializing everything and we're not cleaning up properly after ourselves and we're creating memory leaks or under certain circumstances, the thing just blows up. Exactly. Uh, it'll work fine until it's under load, um, those sorts of things. Because whenever you go between the managed and the unmanaged world, you there's a lot of weirdness going on. Yes. So, for example, you can you can pass some item off to a native call and meanwhile the garbage collector could go, hey, no one's using this. Great, I'll clean it up. You know, um, and, and because someone is using it, but the someone who's using it is native code that's blissfully unaware that there even is a managed heap. And so, <laughs> uh, unless you do things about pinning and, 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 and those sorts of things, you'll, it'll work most of the time and you'll have this intermittent error that nobody can understand. So that's the other purpose of the Vista Bridge is to sort of be a, a genuine sample of good interop. So using something, for example, called handle ref, whose only purpose in life is to maintain references to Windows handles so that they don't get cleaned up because as a handle it's been given to another part of Windows who, and they may come back and use it at any time and they need it to be 
still there, still listening. Um, so as a sample alone, if you care about this sort of stuff, if you think that interop is neat, it's a good way to go in and see, you know, kind of a blessed way to do it because some fairly clever people, as you can imagine, at Microsoft have been through it with a fine tooth comb hmm. and have made sure that it is genuinely demonstrating good interop. But there's another whole set of audience who can't even spell interop, but who just, they want a command link in their application. And that's like, fine, take this sample, out of reference to it, and you can have a command link in your application. Well, and it's got to be frustrating to see this stuff in Vista, or more relevantly, have your users see this stuff in Vista and say, how come your app can't do that? Yeah, that's right. How come your app still looks like it did in, in you know, 1947? Um, and <laughs> it's starting to, to get that separation between apps that were built for XP um, and the apps mostly for Microsoft that were built for Vista that just look nicer. When people are saying, I want to have that look and feel. I want to look nice. And you know one of the scariest ways you can get that look and feel right now is if you're an MFC programmer. What? <laughs> wow. There are such things anymore? What version of MFC are we still on? 4.2? <laughs> MFC stands for something that I really can't say on this show. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been updated for, I don't know, a decade or something. Yeah. And um, out of band, shortly after 2008 release, they put out a doubling of the MFC library. Twice as big. Twice as big, twice as many, you know, what's-its, whatever you want to count as a, you know, as a, a function point or what have you, no matter, megs, twice as big. And it includes, among other things, a ribbon interface. Really? Because yeah. I was just thinking, if you're going to look like Vista, you need ribbon, which is actually yeah. Office, but, you know. Yeah, but you can have a ribbon. You can have um, uh, the different gripper styles on the toolbars. Um, you know, apparently a lot of people really care whether it's like three dots or two little vertical lines. Um, the resizing symbols on the edges, all that stuff, so that all of your um, your internal windows will all look like the kinds of windows that Vista is going to generate. Or... Office-like or IE-like or what have you, and as well with the ribbon interface. And it's like this is coming from MFC. It's it's not. It's out there today. You know, it's it's been released, and you can have your MFC app take a giant leap forward uh, UI-wise uh, about seven versions at once and look really really slim. And that's native code, no managed code in sight. You're listening to .NET Rocks from .NET Rocks.com. This is Carl. I have a message from our sponsor, Telerik, who wants you to know about the best way to learn using new dev tools and technologies. Well, is it reading manuals, watching videos, playing with sample code? How about all of the above? So Telerik recently launched their new interactive trainer tool to help you effectively learn all the Telerik products in your own pace. The Telerik trainer is a slick WPF app that combines a video player with synchronized highlights, a table of contents for topical navigation, and a context-sensitive code launcher. While playing the narrated videos, you'll see a code button light up at a relevant section. Click the button, and you'll open the respective file from the provided project directly into Visual Studio. No more searching for code while watching a training video. This is indeed innovation in training. They're always releasing new tutorials for all the Telerik products, so don't waste any more time and download this amazing new training tool now at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K. And as you know, when it comes to developer tools, it's not just about great products, but also about reliable support 
and effective training materials, and that's exactly what our friends at Telerik have done. Check it out. Now let's get back to the show. Are we really, as C++ devs, talking about taking an existing MFC app and just giving it the new library and off we go? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you do have to make some code changes, but it's still 100% an MFC app. It's based on command routing. Yeah. Still, I mean, it's like it's going back in time. But there's little tiny touches that I really enjoyed, even if you didn't go to a ribbon. You know, if you can cast your mind back, when you had a toolbar in an MFC app, there'd be a command ID for each button, and then on the menus, you'd have the same command ID, and you'd only have one handler, regardless of the way the person clicked it, right? So one of the things the framework now MFC does automatically is it puts the toolbar image in the menu. You don't have to write a spec of code to do that. It just notices, hey, these guys have the same command ID. They must go together. And it puts the little toolbar symbol next to the menu item Hmm. with no no awareness whatsoever on the part of the developer. So it's a huge leap forward. And there are, I know, because I have clients, neglected MFC apps that no one's touched for 10 years. And usually there's a project on the back burner to completely re-implement that client UI as a C-sharp app, and they haven't gotten around to it because it's real expensive and the MFC app isn't broken. It's just kind of dated and stale. And so they can look at spending, you know, one-tenth of what they were going to spend and just snaz up the UI. Give it an update. Yeah. Yeah. And bring bring it into the modern era without changing any of their core I mean, not even, it's not even about not changing their business logic, which would, I would hope, be in a separate business layer, but really not even changing their UI logic about, you know, calculating how big the rectangle should be kind of thing. Right. That all stays untouched. You're just drawing the menus differently or, or drawing the toolbar differently. But MFC was the way we built Windows app before Visual Basic. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't even talk about .NET. No, no, no. It was the dangerous way of building Windows apps. It, you, MFC in many ways sort of predates Visual Studio. Yeah. Not in many ways. It does. Visual Studio 1 came with MFC 2. That's why we did the version jump between 2 and 4 so they could catch up to each other. Just to sync up. Yeah. And so it's it's like ancient, ancient technology. And if you would have you know, had some sort of a betting pool a year ago as to which UI building technology would get from Microsoft would get the ribbon first, it wouldn't have even been nominated. No, no. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't it got in there at all. That's right. And most people think it's it's over with and hadn't been touched for a long time, but it turns out to have a pretty big user base of people who just don't change their app. Now, I mean, the question is, is that the library that the Office team themselves are using? No. Because, I mean, Office is largely written in C++, right? Office is written in C++, but they do things their own idiosyncratic way that uh, tend not to end up, the code from Office tends not to end up directly in other libraries. Right. Yeah. So everybody's always interpreting these controls. That's right. Here's how to make it look as much like Office as possible, but we're not using their code. And in this case, they're really not because they licensed um, a third-party library uh, from some folks called BCG Soft. They licensed and then brought it in and changed the naming structure to be consistent with the rest of MFC and and uh, put it through some very rigorous testing and actually found bugs in it and fixed them and that kind of thing. Wow. So, um, they made it their own, but they, they started with this base from elsewhere. And, of course, by now, there's so many third-party companies making their interpretation of the ribbon controls yes. that it almost would make no sense for Microsoft to even release them. Uh, to write one from scratch would not, I think, be a real good use of resources unless there were no good ones out there. Right. And and I've certainly had occasion to, 
to play, you know, because I'm a consultant and people want advice, so they come and they say, could you please evaluate these three libraries and tell us which one we should use? And it's astonishing the difference between them. You go to their websites and they all say, you know, it's a grid or it's a graph or it's a ribbon. Right. They they sound like they're all the same, so you download the demo of them all, and in, usually in about a half an hour, you're like, whoa, this one here, I don't understand how they actually get money for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> they should pay me now for for, for my having to... I want my half money. hour back. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and this one is great. I want to use it right away. And and that really happens quite, quite quickly. So it's possible, I suppose, that for some technologies, all the third-party libraries... Are, are bad and you should write your own, but I haven't met that technology yet. But there's plenty of thriving little third-party things that I'm dying to see brought properly into the fold. Um, I use a, a product uh, from some people called Enesis to let me do reporting services with SharePoint lists as the data source. Right. I mean, any any need that you can express in a single sentence, you probably shouldn't have to buy from a third party. Yes. But But that one I do, at least for now. And um, it works just fine. Does what it says on the tin, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, I mean, two sets of things you're talking about here. The Vista Bridge is one thing. Yeah. Uh, the the MFC stuff. It doesn't sound like there's any way for .NET folks to get to that. No, no, no. It's it's a native it's a native thing. I mean, it's a library of native C plus plus code, which I guess in theory you could try to get to by writing some sort of wrapper, but I wouldn't go there. Right. <laughs> it's it's a lot there. of code. And, and you know, um, I wouldn't go file new MFC project either. You know? Really? You would not build an MFC project today? No. No, I wouldn't. Because where are you going to find someone who is who really knows MFC well? They're going to be at least 40. And they're going to cost a lot of money. And if you just want sort of I've got this UI and it's got some grids and when you click on a row in the grid, this other thing comes up and blah, blah, you can do that in C Sharp. You can do that in VB.net. And uh, you can do that with way more widely available developers. Right. You know, so so those people who know MFC inside and out can maintain your code uh, that was already written that way. And the people who know C++ inside and out can write your highly performant engines and calculators and whatnot. Um, or can maintain that stuff. But to go file new MFC project out of the clear blue sky, I don't think it's going to happen anymore. And really not justifiable. No, no, because it's a very high learning curve. And although it does offer, you know, a ribbon and a modern MDI tabbed document thing, um, there are ways to achieve that in the other languages. Sure. That, that are not going to cost you in terms of people costs anywhere near as much. Hmm. But for people who have an app, and who have clung to it often because it's not very well refactored and the business is all smushed up with the presentation and it's going to cost a fortune to pull it apart into layers so that they can write the UI in C Sharp but maintain the business layer in C++. For those guys, coming up to the latest version of MFC and getting a, a wonderful UI, that's great news for them. That's nothing but good news for them. Well, and i got to think that those apps have to be retired of their own merit sort of thing, that... that the, they're purely in maintenance mode, and eventually they'll be replaced by something else entirely. Right. So I have a client who, you know, 10 years ago, their suite was their their engine calculator thing in, in C++ and their UI in MFC. And then they wrapped an interop layer around the engine and added a web interface 
um, which has worked out fairly well. And then they wrote a little C-sharp separate app just to do some admin. And then eventually, I, you know, they're going to write another C-sharp app that will replace whatever bits and pieces that the admin app and the web interface isn't taking care of, and then they can retire the MFCF. And that'll be fine. But it's a law, it's a decade long, you know, process. Hmm. It's an interesting way to think about the problem in that kind of scope. I guess the question I've got is, is there anybody in Microsoft going file new MFCF? <laughs> Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> Boy, I ask bad questions. I don't know why. What I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. Like that's just frightening. Well, if you go new MSC project right now, you get a really strange thing because they've cranked the heck out of this wizard so that it'll give you um, an application that actually looks a lot like Visual Studio. It's got zillions of panes and toolbars and properties, windows and so forth and so on, basically demonstrating all the features of the new library. Um, and they did that because. You know, they really know no one's going to start from scratch. And they're right. just going to want to see lots of sample code. And this is the way to generate kind of the sample of your choice. Hmm. So you go in and you check a bunch of checkboxes and you get these 27 features. And then you can see how they were done. It's funny. Yeah. You did a bunch of C++ talks at uh, a tech ed. And when I say bunch, I mean you did all of the C++ talks at tech ed. <laughs> well, you know, I thought I did. Um, because I have for many years done all the C++ talks, which has meant... In most cases, both. Both, um, yes. And occasionally, <laughs> one particular year it meant it. Um, <laughs> but this year, I did have two C++ talks, but I found a total of seven C++ talks at TechEd Developers. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I was... And I how was, many were yours? Two were mine and five were not. Wow, yeah. my goodness. I was really surprised. And in fact, that doesn't even count the one about Excel. Did you know you can write C++ code in, you know, you know, you can do VBA in Excel. Right. Yeah. But did you know you can also do C++? No. 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 I don't know that I wanted to know. <laughs> so apparently that's been there, you know, since about 1803. You can write something <laughs> called like an XLL, which is like a DLL. And okay. And it's in C++ and, and it was for really complicated, like, stuff you couldn't do in VBA from, from Excel. Like hefty math stuff is what we're talking about, right? Well, I would have thought that I could count on Excel to do my math, but yes, yeah, something like that. There, I know there's limits for, and plus, remember, Excel was the one that messed up the two plus two thing too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the chip was partly responsible for that. Uh, yeah. Details. <laughs> so uh, this has apparently been around forever, and they're actually um, looking at making that, opening that to something to do with managed uh, code through C plus plus. So uh, that's pretty scary stuff. Um, I guess, the, I mean, you must answer this question all the time, but why would I want to know C++ anymore? Mm. I, don't, I do meet people who are learning it, and that surprises me. You know, a year or so ago, I would have said, nobody's learning C++. Those of us who happen to know it, it's an excellent tool in certain circumstances. Good for us. But in fact... But, uh, I, I mean, like operating systems, um, development well, tools, and games, all games, written in C++. Super, anything super high intensive calculations that you can't just throw metal at. Right. Um, and maintaining stuff that was written that way. And, you know, it was written by a guy whose first language was Russian, and nobody's really sure exactly how it works, but it does work. <laughs> and it's magic. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing you want to do is, is try to, you know, port it to C Sharp, because it'll take four years and it won't work when you're done because of some really subtle thing about how zeros are represented right. or something. And, um, you know, getting to that goodness, maintaining that, enhancing it if you need to, 
figuring out how to expose it to some managed clients to a, to a, say, a WinForms or a WPF user interface, that's a totally great use of C++. Um, C++ native or managed is faster than your other choices because you've got, for example, things like templates. It's also sometimes the only thing that works. Depending I mean, on what de- you're trying to do. Yeah, if you're trying to... Well, we talked about this ASIO library that uh, that I wanted to see if you could take a stab at. And the only way that you can access that API is through C++, apparently. Right. Like a Windows a Windows DLL, a Windows API DLL, is what's called a C-style API. And, and you can get to that from managed code. But you can put C++ classes in a DLL. And then really only C++ code can call them. And there's, yeah, right, right. There's no interrupt story to speak of. Well, unless you want to rely on how names are mangled or decorated by individual compilers. Yeah, more more than I really want to know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. how many years has it been since we've had to think about what version and what brand of compiler was that code compiled with? Exactly. I'm really happy to have that behind me. Oh, standards are a wonderful thing. And there are certain things that are definitely the job of compilers and operating systems and not of human beings. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's but good. I would argue that, I mean, the modern way we're doing this, we never did figure out a good way to vet, figure out standards around compilation. We just went to one compiler. Yeah, that's right. That was <laughs> if there is only one, it's a pretty good standard. <laughs> <laughs> but I do meet people in the C++ world who are, they're, they're cross-platform, they're, they're cross-compiler vendor. So they'll build all their stuff on machine X with compiler Y until they like it, and then they'll FTP the files onto machine A with compiler B, and it better work exactly the same. Yeah, it's, that's freaky. People forget that's why C was so popular is because it was cross-platform. Yeah. And C++, yeah. same way. I and worked this, with this, a group of guys who were developing under Windows with Studio in C++, but the destination environment was a Linux box. Yep. Yeah, I meet these people all the time. And yep. they're and, and they're the people who are who go ballistic in in standards meetings about, about stuff like bike padding and things like that, because it needs to be exactly the same warts and all, no matter how they move around, uh, from compiler to compiler, from hardware platform to hardware platform, from byte size to byte size, like it has to always be exactly the same. And um, they're counting on it because it's really funny. I think you're targeting a machine as this is who you want your your customers to be using this, but you don't want to use it. Right. <laughs> and, you know, in the old days, it'd be like, oh, yeah, all this banking software runs on OS2, but all the developers are building it on Windows. Yeah. yeah. You know, and at the last minute, they're going to copy it over to the OS2 box and compile it with the IBM C++ compiler. And it's just going to work. That's right. Like Trust testing me. will consist of running it and seeing if it didn't crash, and then okay, deploy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a different way of thinking about development, and it, it's a long time ago now. It is, and most of us have gone way beyond that. We, you know, our standard is that hey, we've all we're all running some flavor of Windows, and we've all got the .NET framework, and and we forget, you know, that source code level of compatibility or source code level of portability was is still a big part of some people's world. Yeah. And so when you when you go to C++ talks or, or conferences with a C++ track, that's when you bump into these people and you say, wow, your life is more difficult than mine. Yeah. <laughs> you forget. You're yeah. looking at managed code wistfully. Yes. In some cases, they really are. You know, I mean, um, 
uh, it's not just for memory management, but the other things that the, that the framework um, offers people around things like exception handling and not letting a rogue process take over the whole machines and things like that, that um, we forget them because we've been looked after now for, for quite a while. And I think maybe a merciful veil gets drawn over some of our memories. <laughs> yeah, we let it go. I have been race condition free for 2,337 days. <laughs> Speaking of race conditions, I can't let you get away without talking about multi-threading in some way. Absolutely. Because we all know that that's our favorite form of programming. Well, you know, I, I've been singing this song now for a couple years that we we do have to learn something about concurrency and parallel processing um, because we're just not going to be able to write single-threaded apps anymore. Right. And, you know, people are getting machines with two and four and eight cores, and it's not that weird. And it's getting bigger. They're, they're become, the cores are becoming more plentiful. And so, you know, if you say, why is my machine pegged at 25% CPU? <laughs> uh. <laughs> right. That's funny. So, you know, we have to do something. And what what I my kind of line is this. In C++ memory management, we had just such a, a simple one-sentence rule. You know, whatever you allocate, you have to clean up. If you malloc it, you have to free it. If you nude it, you have to delete it. That's all very simple. Simple, really? Programmers <laughs> couldn't do it, right? I mean, memory leaks, I don't know, what, 70% of all bugs or something caused yeah. by memory management problems? So along comes the .NET framework to say, okay, we give up. Yeah, obviously people are not qualified. That's right. <laughs> Forget it. Never mind. I take it back. I never said anything about deleting anything. So, so I dare anybody to give the rules for good concurrency programming in a page, never mind in a sentence. You know, and they're like really obscure rules, even if you have one. Like, never call anyone else's code while you hold a lock. That's an interesting rule, but then you need like four pages to explain what that really means. Right. Well, that's only when you get into the whole why problem. If you yes. gave up on why, you'd be fine. <laughs> Even without a why, you probably still need a full page of, of what not to do. What, you know, make sure your locks are big enough. Make sure your locks are small enough. Never do this while you hold a lock. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. Always have a deterministic order so that you don't have gridlock when you release them. People are not going to get that. Like oh, you said deterministic. You know, Now you need another paragraph. Exactly. <laughs> so like threads and locks and shared global memory that you have to be a good boy about touching and writing re-entrant code. People, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. If we if we throw our hands in the air on memory management, there's no way that we can just tell Joe, you know, when forms, I've got a grid, when you click on a line in the grid, the dialog comes up, is not going to write thread-safe code. and Because it's not something that there's a big mechanism, big benefit for learning it. So you're going to need something to do it for them. The cool thing that's happening like like this year, like 2008, is watching the definition of something. Because you've got people doing the operating system, people doing compiler, language keywords, libraries, frameworks, um, you know, a variety of different ways of trying to do it for you. And some of them are really intrusive and some of them are not so intrusive. And it's going to really kind of be fun to watch it shake out and see which ones people adopt and take on. And there's things actually out there now that you can start using. So this PFX uh, parallel framework, there's parallel link, there's things, you know, getting out into your hands that don't necessarily have to be the, you know, the CTP July refresh kind of deal, but are actually semi-usable products. 
You can mm. start writing concurrent code without a PhD. Yeah, this like is that. a this is really exciting to me. The parallel framework. Uh, what are we calling it again now? The, the... Um, well, I think PSX is a code name. Yeah, but... everything's still a code name at this point. But I mean, bottom line is that they really are. Imagine, yeah, multi-threading without mutex. Like just that whole idea that we start to wrap this in the .NET live framework, and just like we manage memory in .NET, we're managing threads. I don't right. think it's real yet. But it's but it's feasible because of the things that have been added into the .NET framework. Once mm. you have lambdas, yeah, then yeah, you have this idea of taking a task and wrapping it and putting some brackets around it, and saying. You can actually do that in parallel. You know this right. I that you're passing to it? Um, if you want to do, you know, number one and number 13 at the same time, that's fine. And let all the deal of how do I decide how many threads there should be, how do I know when they're all done, wait for one, wait for all, right. blah, blah, blah. That goes away. Goes away. That's plumbing, that's goo, that's not my problem. I just have this little thing in me that I want you to do 100 times, and I'm telling you it's paralyzable, that what I do on pass one doesn't really affect pass 93, and do it in whatever order and break it up how you like. And I think I have a, a rule about that, that you you have to expect performance hits over having the guts to go and do your own locks and try to, you know, do everything yourself. You, it's never going to be safe. Never. It really isn't. And what you gain in productivity, you lose a little bit in performance. But I think I think in general, this this is a good direction to be going in. Because, you know, once you start yeah. parallelizing with a lot of cores and a lot of different uh, threads, the, those benefits are going to come back. Well, the other thing is if you parallelize wrongly, so if you do it by hand, you say, I'm, I'm a He-Man and I understand a mutex and so forth, mm. you can actually end up still just having a single-threaded program because all 100 threads are lined up waiting right. for the same bottleneck resource. They're synchronous. Right. And so if you, um, if you parallelize correctly you'll do well, but if you parallelize poorly, you're still just writing a single-threaded app. It's just got a whole lot of arm-waving going on around it before they all line up for the bottleneck. So hopefully the libraries would never um, do that to you. What the libraries may do, and it isn't really that they'll do it to you, if your loop isn't parallelizable, if, in fact, what happens on loop 3 depended on the results of loop 2, but you go ahead and lie to it and tell it to parallelize it, then you're going to get, like, crap results and blame the framework. Yeah, and it, and again, it won't generate any errors. It's just no. going to do stuff wrong. It's just going to use, you know, uninitialized memory or old values or weird stuff. And this is the whole, my, um, your optimizer broke my program. You know, we used to hear that a lot in the old yeah. plus days because someone would say, well, I have a bug when I run in uh, release, but I don't have a bug when I run under debug. So clearly the optimizer has broken my program. No. <laughs> hey, I clearly. I just read that Microsoft bought this company called PowerSet, and I just sent you guys a link, and I am to this story, that is doing a natural language search. And apparently, Microsoft is paying a lot for this to hook it up to Windows Live, you know, so that they can better parse people's queries. It sounds that way. So uh, I, I'm just interested in what you think of the whole Windows Live thing and Kate and whether you use it as a search engine or... I really um, do. You know what? I, I, I can't remember the last time I searched on Google. Really? I search, I search exclusively on Live, and um, I rarely have to go to the second page of results. I sometimes have to rewind again on my keywords, 
Um, but I'm, I'm a happy camper searching on live. The one Google tool I use is the news aggregator. Oh, cool. I, I, uh, news.google.ca gives me Canadian stories and Canadian sports and Canadian this, that, and the other, um, in a way that I can't find any Microsoft product that will do so. But for search, I'm a happy camper, but I'm, I'm interested in this natural language because this is the idea of figuring out the difference between several meanings of a word based on what other words you're searching with. Right. Yeah. That's the deal. Yeah. Which one of the theirs are we talking about? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I find that, you know, choosing the keywords for searching is a skill. There's usually one person in every group who can do it. Hmm. And, and I'm that person in our group so that the staff will come and say, I can't find whatever. And it's a different way of thinking about language. And it's not necessarily a good way per se. It's only good for searching. It's good for searching, exactly. So you're like, I'm not going to, you know, use that word because it's on tons of pages. So I'm going to use this other word. And, um, and I can usually find whatever I want pretty quickly. So yeah, I tend to be the, the designated searcher for people. <laughs> it says the, the art of picking words that are infrequently used. Yeah. What does Amazon call those statistically unlikely phrases or something? Hmm. Yes. But do you, I mean, you wanted to, you wanted to, to be unfrequently used, but used enough that there'd be something searchable. Yes. Yeah. And, and I have found that, you know, when you get one of those, ugly error messages that start 0x and is about 17 words after it that don't tell you anything helpful, you just paste that whole sucker into the search box and you find someone who's quoted the whole error message you know, yeah. in their blog and tells you how they solved it. Well, by far, that's the most useful thing I've, I could do with search engines these days is take those key phrases in quotes. Yeah. Because that's usually, a you know, the first link is the correct one. It's the other guy who's also knows this rule. And when you solve a complicated problem, you take the error message with it. That's right. And if you look in your blog refers, <laughs> um, there's a particular thing where you appear to have completely hosed your reporting services installation. And the error message says that you should, like, reinstall SQL or some other completely non-intrusive behavior. Yeah. And, in fact, you just need to run one little command at the command line. And it would and go away. And it goes away. And when I look in my referrers, pretty much every week someone has searched, come to my blog, and their search string is that entire error message. So I know they've done exactly the same thing. They just pasted the whole damn thing into a search engine and gone, help! Yeah. <laughs> Tell me this is not true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's the most useless information you can get in an error message. Please consider formatting your hard drive. Oh, no, no, no. The most useless message ever is contact your administrator for help. Oh, I saw one. I saw one the other day that said uh, it was from an, an installation program. It, it set up EXE cannot continue until the following pro programs are closed. And in the list was set up EXE. <laughs> yeah, that's going to oh, be a problem. <laughs> but this is why I love uh, virtualization so much. You know, because you, you get the whole thing set up once and then it, it just lives on a, on its external drive or whatever and you just, you're not running around installing and uninstalling things all the time. Right. And I install stuff on a, on a virtual PC and then if I don't like it, I just delete the file. <laughs> well, and, and throwing away machines, just deleting that whole virtual machine just feels good. <laughs> you know, it's like hitting a hard drive with a hammer, really. 
feeling of misery gone. Yeah. Goodbye. I will never see you again. I used to do this, speaking of funny things that just pop up on your screen, I used to do this thing on Mondays called Wacky Headlines, where you'd find headlines to stories in the news that either are just really stupid or something, but I'm I'm just looking at one right now. <laughs> this is hilarious. Guitar Hero for the Nintendo DS falls short. <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh my goodness. Because when you think of big rock and guitars, you, you think of think the Nintendo DS. <laughs> Unbelievable. Come on. <laughs> Although I know several teenage boys who do play Guitar Hero uh, with only uh, the non-guitar controller. Um, it's a party trick in a way. And apparently they get good at it by, by duetting with someone. You know, having someone over and they don't have two guitars, so they're like, I'll use the controller. And right. then they end up better with the controller. Huh. And they say things like, I'll take you on. I'll tell you what, you can have the guitar, I'll just use the controller. <laughs> Yeah, it's it it it's like a con. Yeah, that's right. I'll use my left hand. <laughs> <'Cause my> left <laughs> hand. <laughs> yeah, we're here to fool you. You know, I noticed when you when we were first introducing you, we were talking about languages. Of course, we know you're C person, but you never said C sharp. You said VB.net. I do almost no C sharp. Is that uh, true? Wow. Until recently, I I could say that I had done. Other than demos that I had never done a line of C sharp for money. Now I do. I've had a couple projects since where the project as a whole is in C sharp, and we want you to write this piece of it, and we're not making a separate assembly to link in. Da da da. We want you to, you know, join in the source tree. So, so I wrote it in C sharp. So, I, you know, I'm not allergic to it, uh, but it's not my first choice. No, no. Interesting. Because, well, for one thing, um, I do need to remember what language I'm in. Mm, yeah. Right, so if I'm all brace brackets and slashes for comments and stuff, sooner or later I'm going to try to do something C++-ish. Besides, I, I would think, Kate, that after C++, you'd want something like VB just for the bra- the change of pace. I mean, just for the <laughs> breath of fresh air. <laughs> well, I, it's, you get used to things. And, and I find, for example, that C-sharp um, IntelliSense is way more. It's like that really keen kid in the front row who's always got his hand up before the teacher's finished speaking. Yeah. Like, me, me, I know, I know. You know, you're, you're like, I, and it's like, int, you're going to say int. But, you know, I can type, it's three letters. I'm good. <laughs> you know? That's right. It's and, okay. <laughs> so, you know, with, in, in VB, it's a little, you have to do something. Uh, mind you, I, I get annoyed when I read programs that are full of me dot, me dot. Hmm. Because it's like, yeah. they did that to bring up the IntelliSense, man. Control shift <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Or at least delete the me dot afterwards so nobody knows. Yes, right? this is what I'm saying. <laughs> but Too yeah, funny. I, I do a ton of VB.net work. And, 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 you know, I've said it before. VB is just C-sharp. No, C-sharp is just VB with semicolons. Nice. And that's not a bad thing. You know? Are you still a uh, Coke drinker for breakfast? Absolutely. Got a can of it right here before we started talking, even though it's long past breakfast. You know, uh, there's studies now that caffeine could uh, reduce the risk of, risk of multiple sclerosis. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> just in case right, you're yeah, ever this thinking is just about... justifying things backwards. Uh, just in case you're ever thinking about quitting drinking coffee or <laughs> Coke or whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, forget well, about all that sugar. 
That's You're going to be diabetic, but you won't have MS. It's all right. Priorities. <laughs> Lovely. More importantly, you'll be awake and able to do your work before noon every day. Although yeah. today was a slow day for me. It's the holiday here, so I... Taking it easy? Yeah. Yeah. I got a little... So- I mean, we're coming towards the end of the show here. Maybe we got to tie back into this whole Vista Bridge thing to some degree. Is this still evolving? Are we going to see a more .NET-friendly incarnation of this stuff? Um, absolutely. I think that the .NET framework continues to evolve to be more Vista-friendly, and Vista will probably evolve to be more .NET-friendly, and things will wander around. So, for example, the file open dialogs. Um, originally, the Vista ones. Yeah, the Vista ones are gorgeous, right? But originally, when you would build like a WinForms or a WPF app, that's not what you'd get. You wouldn't get a Vista file open dialog. No. The underlying API was changed to bring up the gorgeous thing, but it had some logic in it that says, hey, if you're being customized, if you've passed in these flags, then you must know what you're doing and give them the old style. And both WinForms and WPF passed those flags in and got the old style. So the Vista Bridge samples include a way to get the nice file open dialogues with the searching and the previewing and the thumbnailing and all that stuff. But there's really not a need to do that anymore because since then, I think it was the SP1 of the .NET framework changed to those libraries so they get the shiny new file open dialogues. So none of that's necessary anymore. So that's not so necessary anymore, unless for some reason you're you're using a real old version of the .NET framework, like 1.1 or something. Um, and so I think you'll see that over time, that things will show up in, in the Vista Bridge, and then eventually they'll show up in some version of the .NET framework. Um, and then maybe something new will go into the Vista Bridge over time. There's a release being planned this summer that's going to have uh, more features in it um, than are, that are there available today. If you go download the SDK today, for example, you won't see anything to help you with restart and recovery. But I know that's written, and I know that that's going to be probably on Code Gallery. Uh, sooner rather than later so that people can download it and start working with it. And that I, I expect it to be a dynamic and growing thing that continues to pick up uh, capabilities and functionality as we go forward because people are going to start becoming aware and saying, hey, this has got this power awareness. It's got this network awareness. It's got a ton of stuff going on. There's got to be a way for my apps to do this. And then they go read the documentation and run screaming from the room. That's the sort of stuff that should go into this bridge. Absolutely. Uh, so right now, if I want to grab onto Vista Bridge, what do I got to do? You should probably search for it. <laughs> <laughs> it is out there. Let me just see if I use. That's one of those uh, error messages there, Kate. Yeah, really. I mean, no, you can you can download the platform SDK, but that's something that you search for anyways. And so it's a simpler matter to just search for for the Vista Bridge itself. And then once you have the cross technology samples, and just keep undoing zips and. There are zips inside zips, and you undo those, and eventually it pops out. And, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a Visual Studio project. You open it, you build the DLL, you add a reference to it, you're good. And wow. So I, I did the search on live for Microsoft Vista Bridge, and the second link was the Vista Bridge samples in the, the, uh, the .NET Framework Developer Center. There you go. And it has a sample download. So that's how you do it. I mean, Magic. The, the, the problem is the URLs they have are just these really ugly, you know, they've got E-N-U-S in them, and they're a thousand miles long with yeah. numbers and letters. They're, they're just not friendly URLs to give people, but it's pretty simple to search for. Definitely. Once you know its name and that it exists, if you go up to live and you type easier way to use Vista features for managed code, I don't think you're going to get good links. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, well, that's about it. Hey, you know what we haven't done in a long time, Richard, and I just feel compelled to ask about something that, uh, Kate, something that you've seen on the web that you think is really cool, or a piece of technology, or a toy, or... Well, um, I'm looking at the open tabs. This is my to-do list, right? Open tabs on my browser that I had. I really need to deal with this sometime soon. Yeah. And um, I'm looking at something that claims that it will go through my hard drive and find files that are the same, like, you know, 19 copies of the same picture or the same Word document or whatever mm-hmm. so that I can get some of my space back. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, uh, it's a very simple little problem, but I'm thinking I want to download this puppy and try is that a Is that a real issue for you, duplicate files? You know, I, I, do you remember when you first got, you know, like a one meg external drive and you thought that's going to just be like a lifetime supply <laughs> of disk space? Yeah. And, and, and then your first gig, and you're like, oh my God, who could ever fill a gig, you know? And it's like, I've got, I don't know, 200 gig or something here. And yet I go to squeeze another VPC on and it's like, I'm going to have to go find an external drive to put the VPCs on. Yeah, you know, I fill things up and I don't really know how. So, uh, maybe it is because I have, you know, Many, many copies of the same thing. Just get a bigger drive. <laughs> Come on. That's all you need. All those downloaded videos. Oh, my gosh. Mm. You know, it's a simple 40 gig download. What's your problem, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how bad could it be? <laughs> yeah. And and then you've got it on your desktop and in and in my documents and heaven knows where else. So um, and I just kind of feel that I don't need to have 10 of everything. Are we going to see you at Dev Connections this fall? I think I'm going to be tech in Europe, although nothing is formal yet. Okay. We shall see. Yeah. On PDC for sure. Excellent. All right, Kate. Well, it's been fun. It usually is. Great talking to you as always. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a